and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about small towns, big cults, so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Divine Evil by Nora Roberts. Joining us to discuss this, oops, my dad joined a satanic cult out of curiosity, cautionary tale, is internet recluse no longer, Christine. Hey. Hi, Christine. Welcome back to the podcast. You may remember Christine as our resident Nora expert and has come, what, is this your, your fourth year in a row? This is number four, big four. Yeah, uh, to talk about Nora with us because we're obsessed. I realize we we made such an error just and it partly it just kind of came down to this external scheduling stuff. But in years past, we kind of got in this tradition of starting the new year fresh with like a Nora Roberts book in the, you know, in February or January to just like, you know, we take kind of take the winter to do our best ofs and then have a little break from reading horrible garbage. And then we read a Nora Roberts, like ease ourselves back in. And this year, we're like, it's 2021. We're just going to jump straight into full garbage. And it was very jarring. And now we have to, you know, circle back, go do another little loop around the roundabout. And we're coming up on Nora Roberts. And I just feel like, uh, like I can let a little sigh of relief. I'm coming home. I feel safe in the hands of Nora Roberts. I can say I personally needed this. Uh, I think this isn't going to come out till like April, but the day we're recording this is like one day away from my one year quarantine anniversary. And I have been out of my fucking mind. Like I haven't slept in a month. (laughs) So I like listening to this book, which I fucking loved (laughs) was such a nice way to spend my week. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And if you should think about it as, you know, one year of, of quarantine, it's, so it's kind of like you're starting the year off with Nora. Yeah, you know, it's it's year year two of being afraid to leave my house. Uh, yeah. um, before we get too deep into this book, which again, we overall loved, I will say this is an older one. It's from 1992. And Christine was like, oh, there's this one about a cult. And Kate and I were like, oh, we love cults. Great. But it, it is from 1992. And so there are... Um, you know, some early 90s things happening in here. I feel like Nora Roberts really has kind of, you know, grown as a writer and sort of adapted with the times. But there are, there's a lot of like fat phobia in here. There's a lot of, well, like a medium amount of what I'll call well-meaning ableism that I feel like in a newer Nora book, she probably wouldn't write this character this way. There's also content warning for suicide with an asterisk by it, but it's talked about like a suicide for a long time, um, sexual assault, murder, cults, uh, the Dark Lord Satan, all of that is in this book, and we're going to talk about it. Today. Also the cat death. There is an off-screen pet death. <sighs> yeah, well... Also, cows and goats. A lot of animal death. Yeah. And I do want to say also, and this is what I, partly what I mean about like feeling safe in the hands of Nora Roberts, was Christine was like, oh, you know, PSI, there's this cat death coming up. And I was like, oh, no. But she is so good. And this works in both directions. Like, she's so good at introducing a character to you for just like one page and the character's gonna die and you get exactly the correct level of attached to that character in that short time where you're like oh this person had dreams and and now they're dead and that sucks but also i don't know like and i have talked many times often all the time on the podcast about how i'm, I'm emotionally fragile and i don't like it when anything bad happens in a book ever um but it, this book i read it right before bed i didn't have nightmares because i was just like oh, it's 
snore. Like, it's just going to work out and I feel safe here. And even with the cat, like, yes, obviously it's fucking horrible. This cult murdered a cat and I hate them. But it, it like, it wasn't a pet cat. It was it was horrified the characters were horrified that it happened but it was written about in just this kind of way that i could kind of like put it aside in my brain and move on with the book and um but thank you nora she's a gift to the world and also if you're if you're tuning in if you haven't listened to any of our previous nora roberts episodes uh a recommend it b nora roberts has been the best surprise to to kate and i at least i think of this where we were like she has written like five thousand books like they can't actually be good like she's just she's writing too many books they can't be good but uh they are good she's so good at this character development and like pacing out her romance and mystery like yes if you read a bunch of them you can tell there's kind of there's formulas that she follows and there's certain like traits and tropes that she'll revisit often but it's reassuring and it's not i don't know they're just good they're good books Bront. yeah and there's she writes a lot of different kinds of books including the kind that this book is, which is like basically my my favorite formula. It's what I want out of all of my media. It's what I would call probably about 60% mystery and 40% romance. Or even maybe like 50% mystery, 20% quirky supporting characters, 30% romance. Yeah, it's, Something like it's that. weighed in such a way that there is like a mystery and it is engaging but also there is a plenty of time spent to develop the relationship between the characters and all of the side characters and everything that's going on. Um, and that's like basically just what I want all the time. And you know, you kind of know it's going to be okay, which is also a thing that I want in most of my books, despite being a person who's like, I would like to read every book about weird, creepy things. But yeah, it's it's perfect. It's our our initial discovery. We were shocked how much we loved the first Nora book that we read. We did not go into it expecting to enjoy it, as Renata said, and now we can't stop. We have joked many times about turning this into a Nora Roberts podcast. <laughs> but alas, you know, we have our we have our marching orders and they are to read bad books. But we we get a little treat every once in a while. I mean, we just did go going. We're going through a p- pandemic. This might be the year that you full on switch over. <laughs> there is also there is a Nora Roberts podcast that I haven't gotten around to listening to yet, but they follow our podcast on Instagram, Aww. and uh, I might just like maybe we'll just like single white female them and steal their podcast. You like, should, oh, guys, <laughs> you should you should at least you should at least email them and see if you could do a crossover. I think that, yeah, I think that we could and should. But anyway, but right now we're here with you and let's live in the moment. The moment of 1992. Jesus. Um, But the first, the first moment, though, that we are in is not 1992. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it's... 70s, I guess. Yeah. It's the past and it is a creepy satanic ritual uh, it's a whole bunch of people in black robes with masks of animal heads. By by a whole pun, whole bunch, I believe you mean the Coven of Thirteen. The Coven of Thirteen. There's thirteen guys in robes <laughs> with animal heads. There's naked women who are lying with like candles between their legs, and you know, very like sexy altar sacrifice type stuff. And we are seeing all of this through the point of view of a little girl who watches this ritual go down and then wakes up screaming. And she's not a little girl anymore. 
Her name is Claire and she's a grown up. And this is a recurring nightmare that she's had ever since she was a child. And she doesn't know where it came from or how the images got in her head, but probably it's fine. And <laughs> she is a sculptor in New York preparing for her big show. She's very at, at her friend's art gallery. By the way, here's ugh, here's one place where Nora lost me a little bit, but I went with it because I love her. Claire is like 28 and she is the most famous sculptor in the world entertainment tonight comes to her (laughs) art show like she's written up in people magazine she's written up in these very like mainstream you know it's not like art world she's written up in like extremely mainstream like celebrity publications people like recognize her as like she's a sculptor like can you name a living sculptor period renana it's the it's the early 90s who can remember what it was like back then (laughs) maybe there were sculptures sculptors everywhere (laughs) sculptors were the new rock stars i just don't buy it i don't buy it for us especially since claire is such a big deal about like i make this like sort of weird upsetting feminist art like Okay, like People Magazine loves, like, okay, like, I don't know. I feel like of artists working today, like, people know Banksy, but also people don't even know Banksy because who is Banksy? And I feel like that's half the reason Banksy is, like, so, you know, of the moment. You don't believe Madonna would show up at her, at her right like really claire i don't i don't know (laughs) renato put this in the notes and was like name a living sculptor and i was like i can't but then i was like i can't even like even if she had made the decision to make her a painter or a photographer it would still seem very out of character for entertainment tonight to show up at a a gallery yeah it just like the whole yeah you know, unless maybe it's like an Annie Leibovitz and they're photos of celebrities or something like that. Yeah. Or or again, a Banksy. But like... Well, maybe it's like the little news, you know, the beginning of Entertainment Weekly where it's just like the little captions. They used to have those where it was just like a paragraph. Maybe that was all it was. I mean, even still, though. Listen... Don't disparage this woman who clearly knows everything. By the way, in my notes, I want to say for the record that I put name a living sculptor, parentheses, besides my brother, who is a living sculptor. And I can tell you, (laughs) uh, People Magazine is not calling. Well, maybe he should (laughs) be doing feminist sculpting. That's a good point. I, I mean, I don't think his work is unfeminist. But anyway, th- that just right off the bat, she's like so famous. I was like, if you wanted to write about a celebrity, you could have just made her a movie star. Like, this is your book. Um, but no, she's a super fucking famous young feminist sculptor yes. who has a recurring nightmare about a cult ritual. And we find out that also she, when she was a teenager, she witnessed or she discovered her father's body after he died. And it was unclear whether he died by suicide or whether or just he like was a drunken accident. Yes. And the, the sort of uh, feeling of it was that a lot of the people around assumed he died by suicide, but for the sake of the family kind of were like, we, who could know for sure? Yeah. Cause, cause two things about her dad, he was later in life. Anyway, he was an alcoholic who drank t- too much, which I guess is the definition of alcoholic. Um, but also, um, I mean, it's not because he could be in recovery, but he wasn't. He was drinking a lot. And then also he there had been this sort of like scandalous, like tax fraud land development deal 
which again i feel like this is like a very 90s like oh yeah it was a land development deal and uh something something you know it would have bankrupted the family and so the idea that kind of the shame and stress of that maybe would have propelled him to uh jump out a window or he was drunk and he fell out the window um i think the it's actually brought up later that it wouldn't have bankrupted the family which is why it's so weird when cam looks into it later but we'll get to that um but right now Claire, well, yeah, has- I, I mean i think if they'd found out and then had to like, give it back or something because it was like sh- anyway whatever Claire uh, has this big art opening and all these famous people are there and it's very well reviewed and she's been having trouble working in her loft and she decides that what she needs to do is go back to the town where she grew up. Her mom still has the house there that she's been renting out. Uh, her twin brother Blair has been inside uh, in charge of it and kind of gives her like, okay, well, you know, you know where it is. You have the keys like go crazy i'll avoid renting it to someone else because her mother is has just recently gotten remarried uh after her father's death when she was a teenager and is on her honeymoon so she heads out to emmetsboro where we meet cameron rafferty who uh cam he is the sheriff of emmetsboro he was a friend of claire's twin brother when they were in school uh, and he was a bad boy but now he's cleaned up his act. And after working as a cop in DC, he has come back to Emmitsboro to be the sheriff. And he is looking into a grave robbing that two teens who were messing around in the graveyard stumbled over and discovers that someone has stolen, has robbed the grave of an infant who died like a long time ago. Which so I know seems- I do want I do want to say normally I would not be here for a cop love interest. But again, it's Nora Roberts and I trust her. And, you know, all cops are bastards, asterisks, unless you are a small town sheriff in a romance novel. And then we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, Nora Roberts has like five main male types and cop detective is like the leading one, probably followed by uh, Carpenter an artist, and then bar owner, and then nerd. Those are like the five main ones. <laughs> uh, so uh, in here somewhere, we first find out about uh, there's a teenage girl named Carly, and she is running away from home because no one understands her. Her parents wouldn't let her go to Florida on spring break. Everything in her life is the worst because it's so hard to be a teenager and her parents just don't get it uh so she's hitchhiking and uh someone stops to pick her up and she's outside emmetsboro and she's like oh well, i'm going to florida and the person who picks her up is like oh well like okay but you know i, I can take you as far as you know wherever but first we have to stop at my farm because i have to pick something up and she is like okay that seems fine because i'm a teenager and it's 1992 and i guess that's fine for me Claire, and then we get some like cult shit and like fade to black with carly yes she is attacked and cult things are happening around her and tragically uh carly has died meanwhile <laughs> claire has gone back to emmetsboro she goes into the house it's late at night because she claire is very scatterbrained is her main personality trait and she's bad at directions and it took her a really long time like twice as long as it should have to drive out to the house so it's the middle of the night and she goes in and as as she's kind of rooting around in the dark in a house that's been empty for months and everyone knows no one lives there in this small town. Someone calls into the house and says, like, is anyone there? And she thinks it's a bad guy and goes to attack. But actually, it is Cam who thought that someone was breaking into the house. But I want to know, because 
almost any time Claire enters or exits her house, this is mentioned. Like, it comes up so much. Like, she never remembers to take the keys out of her car. She never remembers to, like, close the garage door. She never remembers to lock the door. Which is a a weird trait for the girl who's, like, just moved from the big city to have. Yeah. You would think it would be the opposite. Like, I moved from my small town to New York, and now I don't know how locks work. But she's just like, yeah, fucking whatever. I'm I'm too much of an artist to remember how locks and doors work. God. I was just going to say, I want to note that part of the reason she's so late getting there is because her car literally runs out of gas because she doesn't mm-hmm. remember to fill it. It's. I was really expecting this to kind of be, like, Chekhov's personality trait, but it, it didn't really factor into the plot. Uh, in the end, as much as I expected that it might. Yes. So Claire's back in Emmitsboro. Uh, the all of the the first women of the town, the ladies auxiliary, shows up and mostly to judge her. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Um, like to look around the house and she hasn't the house isn't furnished and she only brought like a suitcase and a sleeping bag and figures she'll pick up furniture and things as she goes so they're all very like she doesn't even have because they're like oh she brought this whole big truck of stuff but the truck of stuff is just like her sculpting equipment and stuff she's very like she doesn't even have any plates there's nothing but pizza and beer in her refrigerator like how she's doing femininity wrong yeah And, and the ladies club is led like there's several ladies who are all like I was your fourth grade teacher I was the town librarian and I remember that you never returned Rebecca which how small is this library by the way but anyway um, the leader of it is the mayor's wife Min Atherton the leader and chief judger so she's like alright I gotta get some furniture uh, and heads out to an antique store in town and gets a whole bunch of used furniture that she is unloading off the truck with the guy from the, the antique store. store. His, yeah, his name is Bob Meese, which I think is a cute name. Throughout this, anytime anyone is introduced, they almost always like have lived there forever and remember her when she was little. And that's also the case with Bob. Like everyone is like, oh, it's you, Claire. Of course we remember. Yes, Bob is actually the night that she found uh, her father's body. She had been on her first date and Bob is the person she was on that first date with, which is, doesn't mean anything. It just was so... While she's unloading her stuff, they notice that the teenager who lives across the street, Ernie, is kind of watching them in a creepy way. So they have him come over and help uh, unload the furniture. And as he's lifting up the furniture, Claire is like, oh, my God, you have to let me do art of your arm. I need to sculpt your arm. Like, I need to draw it and I need to sculpt it. Will you model for me? And he's very flustered he's a bad boy too he's very into death metal and wearing all black and wearing a pentagram and an inverted pentagram and thinking about satan a lot those are his hobbies and then he gains a new hobby which is spying on claire like a fucking creepo yes with a telescope in his room that he uses to look directly into her house because Um, she never pulls down the blinds yes which as as a as a chronic blind forgetter to pull her downer, I feel that. Um. <laughs> I never pull my blinds up. I live in darkness, but but security. Was, well, I lived on the second floor for like six years, so mm. you know whatever. It's different. <laughs> um, and also, I have no shame. Uh, so elsewhere in town, Cam is at a bar where he's being hit on by a girl he fooled around with a lot in high school, who's now kind of like the town slut. Yeah. And prostitute. Like she also like, you know. She charges for it. Yep. Charges. Yeah. yeah. But um, she wouldn't charge Cam because he's cute. 
And she has always, like, had a thing for him and always, I think, kind of it's implied thought that they would, like, end up together and that he kind of belonged to her still. So he's, like, pushing her off or whatever because, like, he's already in love with Claire. He's re-known her two days and he's already like, no, I'm in love with Claire. And while he's there, there's a huge fight that breaks out, a fist fight that he has to stop. And one of the combatants is his stepfather, who he has a terrible relationship with, and ends up kind of beating the shit out of him in order to break up the fight and then more than is needed to break up the fight. So uh, his stepfather Biff is hauled off to jail for a few days and Cam is angry at himself for letting his emotions take control of him that way. But also it was pretty satisfying to beat the shit out of this guy who used to beat the shit out of him when he was a kid. Um, And then also he has to, well, interspersed with this this book has rotating point of views and it jumps around a lot and sometimes you only get maybe like a few paragraphs from a point of view so just to try to kind of like clump things together thematically rather than fully linear linearly um throughout this cam and claire are also having little flirty moments where he like makes excuses to drop by your house or whatever we're also getting check-ins on ernie being a fucking pervo um and we're also getting the new ish pov of someone who the whole town calls crazy annie who has they describe her as having like the mental age of an eight-year-old like it's not clear exactly she has some kind of cognitive disability she's older i think she's like 60 they say and so her parents have passed away and so she lives on her own but the whole town kind of keeps an eye on her and checks on her and but also is like pretty condescending to her and she mostly like walks around town and like picks up trash that she likes and she finds carly the dead runaways bracelet that's like um engraved with the name carly and so she finds that pretty early on and then throughout it there's like a long stretch of people almost noticing the Carly bracelet and then not noticing the Carly bracelet. Uh, So also in this, Claire has Ernie over a few times to sketch and then sculpt his arm. And to Claire, she is a woman in her 30s who is having some kid come and model for her. And to Ernie, Satan has brought Claire to him to be his bride. And it is intended for him to have her sexually because Satan said, and that is really what is on his mind every time he is in there. And he is very upset uh, one day when Cam comes over and he sees that Cam and Claire uh, are in a relationship. And Cam is also very like, that kid's like, I'm not comfortable with the way that that kid keeps looking at you. And she's like, oh, he's just like 17. He's, you know, it happens. 17 year olds get crushes on older women. And he's like, no, I think he's gonna like sneak in and slit your throat in your sleep please remember to lock your door claire i mean come on kate come on and model your arm for me is like the oldest pickup line in the book <laughs> i've used I it do so think many it's times. weird <laughs> i do think it's weird that claire has asked this of ernie but i guess whatever like we know in claire's theory that she genuinely just is a weirdo who thinks his arm looks cool but it's a weird thing to do. And she's also like, oh, ask your parents, but then never follows up or like introduces herself. Like if you're an adult and you're inviting a teenager over, like I feel like you should at least make that contact. But she doesn't because she's an artist and she, you know, doesn't know. I don't know. Also, it's 1992 and we have been, she's so, she's so forgetful that I would also buy that like she totally intended to follow up. 
and then never did because it slipped her mind the second after she thought about it, I say, as another person who has that happen to her all the time. There were no Uh, Google reminders back then. Yeah. That's true. Also throughout this, we're occasionally getting peeks at members of the cult who are in town and they're watching Claire and they're like, it seems like she doesn't remember, but what if she remembers? And throughout it, we know a lot of the names of people who are in the cult. Like we know pretty early on that like Bob is in the cult and the mayor's in the cult, but then there's someone else they keep referring to like, and the third man was in the cult. And it's like kind of clunky the way that it's from the cult POV, but they're not identifying this other person, but that's, that's building suspense, baby. Who is it? Who's in the cult? Could be anybody. Claire is also, in addition to sculpting um, Ernie's arm and working on some other sculptures, she is sculpting the thing that she keeps seeing in her nightmares, the man with the goat head. And it is very like as members of the cult are seeing it she's doing it in her garage and her sculptures are big so people who come by the house see it and everyone comes up with an excuse to come by the house because they're nosy small town people it is very clear to them that this is this is something that she took straight out of that night that she spied on them when she was a little girl but also they kind of ask leading questions and it seems like she doesn't actually remember but you know some of the leaders of the cult are like but she's sculpting this so clearly she's like she could remember at any time and there's a lot of back and forth about what should we do about it especially after uh biff cam's stepfather is killed by the cult he was a member of the cult but he broke their rules which a couple of their rules which were like running your mouth off about the cult and also breaking the law and getting caught i guess and and also fighting another member of the cult because the fight that cam broke up at the bar he was fighting a couple of the other cult boys because he lost at pool to them or something or poker he was lost yeah he was drunk he lost a, a manly game to the cult bros and so he punched one of them yeah so they they do a murder of him him so it is for, a fucking nasty murder it is very bad um they they really they very badly they cut his dick off him. yes and castrate him and i kind of thought so um they end up they find the body the body is found and i kind of thought because like one of the last things that we see is cam like beating the shit out of him and it's known that they hate each other i kind of thought that cam being suspected of it was going to be a big plot point and a few people like vaguely mention it but it's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, like, legally, it, he's not wanted for it or anything, but, like, his mom is definitely suspicious. And I feel like the relationship between Cam and his mom is actually so heartbreaking. So we, we learn more about this relationship where Cam's, like, you know, nice, loving father died when Cam was pretty young. And then uh, his mom, Jane, married Biff, and he just like was shitty and abusive. And he just sort of like details all the ways that Biff has like been really controlling and like destroyed his mom's happiness for like 20 years. But because his mom, you know, has this kind of abused um, mindset, like she is still on Biff's side. And she's like, you're always trying to make me choose between you and Biff. Well, like I choose my husband and I think you killed him because you were jealous of him. Like she's saying some like really whack stuff, but she came from this sort of mindset where she'd been um, emotionally and physically abused for a long time and she needs some time to deal with that. And it's a bummer. It's just a real bummer. Yeah. Um. And and so because of that, when Cam goes to tell his mom the news, she's kind of like, get out. Like, you did this. Get out. And Claire's like, I'm a woman. I'll stay here with you until, um, until the doctor comes to tranquilize you. Which this is something that I 
I noticed, and I was just kind of like, I guess it's the 90s, where like, the doctor is constantly just like, oh, you're upset. Here's a tranquilizer. Um, and his name is Doc Crampton. He's like, you know, this old timey small town doctor who does house calls and just like tranquilizes you at the drop of a hat. Like the night that she or her dad died, she remembers like he came over and tranquilized little baby Claire. And that's just like his thing. And I guess that's just what doctors are like in the 90s. Not in my household, but in Emmitsboro sure anyway while this is happening and Claire's hanging out with like tranquilized Jane she's just like poking through the house and there's this room that was clearly like Biff's you know man cave and it's got antlers it's like a Gaston decorated little lounge but it's also full of like extremely hardcore porn and the satanic bible and just some like real dark shit in there and she's like huh okay I will (laughs) notice this and not mention it for several more chapters (laughs) (laughs) listen you just private things you just you know it's none of her business yeah well and i think because she's aware of how like rocky this relationship is i think that's part of it she's like well i don't know if i need to tell cam right now because he's like going through some shit yeah and it's also like at this point the cult stuff like she hasn't noticed or thought about the cult stuff enough for it to be like a clear connection it's just like oh like of course Biff was into like weird fucking shit like much like all the other like there's like I'm not gonna go tell him about the hardcore porn either this is just like shit that his stepfather was into that probably like whatever so after his funeral Claire goes back to her house and Cam has some introspection about life and then also goes back to her house. And then they have sex on the kitchen floor while Ernie is watching. (laughs) Yeah, through his telescope. Yeah. Claire also talks to when the doctor comes to sedate uh cam's mother we're kind of learned throughout that like the doctor was claire's father's best friend even though he was a lot older than him because they both were very into gardening and that like he's been her doctor her whole life and she's having all of these unresolved feelings about her father's death especially being back in the house and seeing that in the attic her mother has boxed up all of his stuff and it's still there oh yeah we also in some of the little cult POVs one of the things the cult specifically mentions is like we saw the light on in the attic like what's she doing up in the attic yes which was it used to be her father's office and it is where he fell from the night that he died so uh she has a heart to heart with the doctor and is basically just like hey I'm I have all this unresolved stuff I don't know what to do like I feel like maybe I still blame him but I know that that's stupid and he's kind of like you know you gotta confront it and take your time and like put it to rest and we're here for you the doctor is also the the father of her best friend who's still in town who works at the diner alice alice and so she's like oh thank you know at least there's one person in this town who i like have an uncomplicated relationship with well okay around this so the book is divided into three parts which are of unequal lengths we're arriving at the end of part one a couple other main things that happen in part one is when claire and kim first meet he's like oh you're a painter and he kind of like ribs her and like pretends like he doesn't understand her art but then when she goes over to his house she finds that he actually owns one of her sculptures that he bought like years ago and it's it's very a romantic moment like you do understand my my weird feminist art oh my god and then also i don't remember if we've mentioned them her best friend not by name anyway angie and jean paul are like angie's her college best friend and jean paul is her french husband and angie is her art agent and jean paul is a gallery owner who hosted that big 
open art gallery opening show that she went to at the beginning of the book. And so Angie calls and says like, Hey, this museum wants to commission a bunch of your work. And it's like a big artist deal. And we're going to come visit a, because you know, we need to talk about plans for this. And also we do not trust you to keep yourself alive in a small town. So we're coming. Um, and it's, so it's, it's uh, str- like the idea of their coming is stressful to Claire for a couple of reasons. She's very excited to see them and very excited to have them stay with her. But also like kind of the excuse she was giving for coming out here was that she felt very blocked in New York and that the work she was making in Emmitsboro was much better and much like better I don't know art words uh but also now that they're coming better able to express her inner nightmare turmoil yes she's very nervous that it actually won't nothing she's done has actually been good so but they do show up and they look at her art and they're like oh my god like this is the best art you ever made like this is so great good art good job with the sculpting um so she feels better about it and and that's, that's so now we're into part two the beginning of part two is when Jean-Paul and Angie come to yes um, and it should be noted that Angie is black, which should be noted because the second she comes into town, like everyone in town is very like, there's a black woman here now, which is, I will say this, like it for 1992, I was kind of cringing when they were like, oh, like Angie's going to come out to stay at the town for a while. And I was like, oh God, oh God. But it's actually, I thought it was handled pretty, I mean, like as a white lady, I'm saying I thought it, it like it, the... The microaggressions against Angie were very clear from Angie's point of view, but also not clear when we were in Claire's point of view um, or Jean-Paul's point of view. Like it was, it was not brushed over, but it was not kind of brushed off either. It was the right amount, I guess. Yes, I would agree. Again, as a white lady. Yeah, like, like I think Claire is a very like early 90s, like, I don't see color. Like, I just have this is just my best friend. And Angie's like, I, I do see color because I'm <laughs> black, actually. <laughs> and, like, Claire never outright says the phrase, I don't see color. But I feel like that would be her vibe if you asked her about it. Yeah. Anyway, that's happening. So Cam's still trying to solve Biff's murder. He also at this point has been contacted about this missing girl Carly, who was last seen like on the highway not far from Emmitsboro and, you know, she's a teenage runaway, so probably she just went to Florida but if they could just keep an eye out for her, that would be great. Um, uh, Jane, um, Cam's mom is like kind of trying to go through the affairs. And again, this is a part where like Jane is like a, a tertiary character, but the way Nora Roberts writes her, it's it's really moving. And you see this woman is like, oh, I, you know, my husband's been in charge of the money and like he sucked and I don't really know what I'm doing. And I guess I'm gonna have to move in with my sister, and I guess I'm gonna get rid of these antiques, which are like my one thing that I was allowed to have. Like it's very moving for a very like short part of the book. But anyway, while she's doing that, then she goes into this shed that Biff always kept locked and she was never allowed to go in there. And turns out it's because that's where his like fucking extremely whack cult, like there was some <laughs> light cult shit in the inside of the house. But then the extreme cult shit is out here, like his black robe and it's covered in blood and there's Polaroids of nude teenagers tied to the tied to a cot and then that cot is right there so it's clear that like oh this photo was taken here in this fucking shed and she's like oh my god well Biff I can't like she's like I can't and she just like burns it all it's clear to the reader she Jane obviously doesn't know but it's clear to the reader that the Polaroids are of Carly in the during the cult ceremony yes she burns all of it all the pictures all the cult stuff everything that's in there she just sets on fire and 
also like all the porn, like all the stuff that, cause it, it builds up very well where like she finds some porn, like regular porn and is like oh like i'm so offended and horrified by this but then she keeps finding like more and more horrifying things the further she goes into the shed yeah and she just like can't process it and and also we are seeing like from her point of view the way that biff has abused her and like really beaten into her this idea that like you know men have their needs and if you can't deal with my like you know this is just my my men's needs and women can't handle it and so i'm protecting you like you know blah 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 like all of this all this patriarchal abusive bullshit has been like gotten into jane's head and she's like well this is you know men's business and i need to keep it a secret for his reputation or fucking whatever so there's a parade there's a memorial day parade that jean paul and angie have stayed through because jean paul really wants to see the majorettes and experience like an american parade and while at the parade they bump into ernie and Claire's like, oh, like, hey, this is the kid whose arm is in the sculpture. Like, hey, Ernie, like, how are you doing? And whatever. And as they're talking, like, Jean-Paul is very, like, this boy is a devil worshiper and you need to stay away from him because he's very dangerous. And she's like, I don't, he's a 17 year old boy who lives across the street from me. And he's like, no, I know, I don't believe in devil stuff, but I do believe in devil stuff. And I he's so into devil stuff that me, a person who doesn't believe in devil stuff, know that he's into devil stuff. Yeah. I mean, he he sees the pentagram, but also he's like, it's bad vibes. He's like, this kid is failing the vibe check so hard. And then Angie also is creeped out by him for not necessarily even the culture, but just like this kid has bad vibes. Yes. Get away from this bad vibe boy. And then around this time is when R.A.P. R.A.P. Anonymous, anonymous beheaded dead cat is found at Claire's door. Um, and Jean-Paul and Angie are like, Ernie did this. Ernie put this dead cat here. And Claire's like, no way. A dog did it. And they're like, this cat was like perfectly beheaded. Like a dog didn't <laughs> do that. And Claire's like, no, it was a dog. I will not discuss this further. Goodbye. And they're like, okay. Yeah. We also find out that Ernie is aware of the cult in town and that he very badly wants to be a member but obviously like he's still a kid so he's trying to like make it clear that he knows that they're there and that he wants the same things from as them to try and snatch an invitation arnie's like the kim kardashian meme where it's like i'm dropping hints that i'm single i'm (laughs) single but he's like i'm dropping hits that i want to join the cult and then he's like, I want to join the satanic cult is the second frame of Ernie. It's just like, <laughs> that's him all the time just projecting cult vibes. Yes. Everywhere. He starts like wearing his pentagram outside of his shirt, which he used to always wear it inside his shirt, like a secret. And he starts like flashing it around town. Flashing goat signs. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, so we get another side character in here around now. Um, this girl named Lisa, who is a ballet dancer, who is on her way to visit her brother and to tell him that she got this like great, she's finally dancing lead in this ballet and she's so excited and her car breaks down and she sees that there is another car that has pulled off the road in the woods, not far from where she is. So she heads out that way to see if someone can help her. And while she's doing that, uh, she stumbles into some of the cult people who immediately 
attack her and go after her and are trying to murder and assault her, but she manages to get away just as Claire is driving by down the road. Um, So Claire sees her come out and thinks she's a deer and hits the brakes. But because Lisa so badly wants to get in the car, she runs directly at the car. And it turns out that Claire does not hit her. She stops the car in time, but more like Lisa ran directly into the car once it was stopped. Um, But she is sure that she hit this girl and that all of like her broken leg and the blood all over her and everything is because she hit her with her car and they yeah and and claire's like oh i shouldn't move you if you're hurt like i should wait and get help and lisa's like no they're coming they're coming we have to go and claire's like um okay i guess and honestly i guess she's maybe in shock but she doesn't seem as questioning of that as i feel like i might be yeah yeah Uh, Yeah. lisa seems pretty pretty like we need to get the fuck out of here and claire's just like are you sure Uh, it's it's all very it's very yeah um but they do go to the hospital and while they're cam shows up and she's telling everyone like i hit this girl with my car i hit this girl with my car and already the doctors are like this doesn't look like you hit a girl with like these injuries don't really line up and cam is there and has to like question her and take a statement because he's the sheriff and she gets real shirty about it and i know probably part of it is shock and part of it is like an invention of a kind of tension between them to push the plot forward but she is so mad that he has to be a cop yeah, and it's like are you my boyfriend or are you a cop and he's like i legally have to be both and yeah. she's like no <laughs> like I can't believe you're taking a statement. Well, somebody has to do it. Like, But he examines her car and sees that like she very clearly like did not hit him. There's no damage. There's not even any like blood on her car. And she was bleeding pretty badly. So she, the girl Lisa has to go through all these surgeries and her brother shows up and he's like so mad that Claire is there and wants to see her. Cause she keeps saying like, I want to see her. I want to see her. And Cam's like, you can't see her yet. And then she gets mad that he won't let her see her, even though the doctors are like only her face family can see her <laughs> it's yeah so it's like i must i must unload my guilt <laughs> and but then like her lisa's brother's there and he's real mad that claire would dare show her face after what she did and then lisa wakes up and she's like no 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 like she saved my life like she didn't hit me with her car like that's not what happened at all there were these men in the forest and she saved me and then the brother's like oh, okay i guess i guess we won't sue you yeah yeah. <laughs> um, and so this is an ongoing concern, kind of, because Lisa's in the hospital for a while. And so there's some back and forth then of Claire going to visit her. And and um, also her brother, Blair, it's very, like, brother time. And actually, her brother and Lisa's brother talk. And it's, again, like, the patriarchy has snuck in here because the brother apologizes to Claire's brother and be like, I'm sorry, I was mean to Claire. And he's like, no, if somebody hurt my sister, I'd do the same thing. And I, I like, I don't know. I feel like I have a fine and good relationship with my brother, but I also don't feel like he would, like, fucking threaten people at the hospital if I was in a car accident. I don't know. There's there's some normal brother feelings happening at the hospital. Um, but Blair, I forget if we said that Blair is a research or a reporter for the Washington Post so he's like a he's a good reporter and he's like uh this seems like some satanism stuff let me use my reporter powers to like l- look up satanism and learn more about this cult stuff and, and so cam- he's kind of growing out with cam yeah um cuz cam also has started to like go down this route that maybe like this is something they should look into like uh claire tells him about like the satanic stuff that she found in his stepdad's house yeah biff's den 
Yeah. Um, and so he goes back to the house and is, is like, uh, mom, I was dad into cult or was my stepdad into cult stuff. I need to know. And then she, she's like, come back with a warrant. And he's like, no, seriously, was he into cult stuff? I will get a warrant. And she's like, okay, fine. Go look. And then she kind of comes clean and she is just like, so shocked and so upset. Cause she is a religious woman and like Biff wouldn't let her go to church anymore and stuff like that. And so she's very upset, obviously. Yes. Also, meanwhile, in the Ernie plot line, he is accepted into the cult. He's been given an invitation. So he's stoked about that. And Cam has also been like, I don't like this Ernie kid. I don't like the cut of his jib. So he interviews him once they're like going down the Satanism route. He's like probably that kid who wears a pentagram and death metal t-shirts and goes around saying, hail Satan might have something to do with it. So I should talk to him uh and he does and like ernie gets really snotty about like the alibis that he has for those times that they are looking into like biff's death and i guess lisa and stuff that happened to claire and not all of his alibis hold up yeah well and partly he's like oh i was like banging this slut sally and then sally's like he said that oh sally's his girl from high school um and she's like oh my god i can't believe he said that but like you know he's got a telescope and he's looking into your room claire and so she is is a helpful and sad teenage girl yes oh also by the way in in this time we mentioned sarah earlier who's like the town prostitute who had a crush on cam and she was involved with the cult rituals and she wasn't really like in the cult but she would take their money and she was like this is fine but then they were like oh we saw you talking to cam so we're gonna instead of just having like kinky satan sex with you we're actually gonna straight up murder you and so she's missing and her brother again with the brothers her brother is the deputy and he's like she wouldn't just run away like people are kind of like she is trash she would just run away and he's like no she wouldn't do that so they're investigating sarah also at this time oh and ernie ernie had seen this happen and he actually was shook because he was like oh my god um i I thought I was into Satanism, but I I draw the line at murder. Well, I kind of draw the line. I'm thinking about drawing a line. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, He had killed the calves on somebody's farm. Yeah. He, so he had gone for his initiation ceremony and he had expected it to be like really intense. And part of it was, and then, but then it just, everybody got naked and had sex with this woman. And he was like, oh, like they all had masks on, but he was like, oh, like it's a whole bunch of old fat men. This is, and they're all just like drunk and having sex with this woman. This is stupid. So they sent him home and he's like, well, there's more going on, isn't there? And they're like, yeah, but not for you yet. Like you're still new. And he sneaks back in the woods and that's where he sees them murdering Sarah and calls Cam. But in a very, like, he doesn't say who he is. He just says they're murdering a woman. You have to save her. Like they're killing her and then hangs up. So it's not helpful. So I know I want to I know we have a lot to get through in, in not too much time but I do want to real quick say you Kate said and this is how we see it from Ernie's point of view is like oh it's old fat men like having sex. This book is pretty fat phobic which again oh, yeah. is 1992 and like I get it but like Claire we have right off the bat she's someone who you know she's just so skinny and she eats all she wants and she never gains weight but she like loves a burger but everyone else like literally every time she meets someone that she knew before she's like oh they got fat. Like everyone has gotten fat yeah there's and very it's just, like with min the mayor's wife who's like she's maybe the fattest one and they describe her as like rolls of fat come out her sleeve and i just like you're i don't know like you it's hard to have a fat wrist nora like i don't know anyway 
So there's just that's just like an ongoing gross vibe throughout this that I didn't love, but it's yeah. 1992. And I, I would say the bit with Ernie is probably the part that like was the one part that I didn't even think of as fat phobia because like he's a 17 year old, but like that I bought like no. it's yeah. And I, it was just that you specifically said the word fat that reminded me I wanted to talk about. This. So Claire, when she's at when she's visiting Lisa one day at the hospital, Min, the mayor's wife, shows up and tells her that she is coming on Saturday to present her art to the ladies' club. They have decided she has to come. She has to make her hair look better than it looks and wear a dress. And Claire's just like, I hate everything. While Cam, meanwhile, is still trying to research, uh, look into Sarah's disappearance and look into Carly's disappearance and try to find the old sheriff who Sarah had implied was involved in all of this. But he moved like 17 different times in Florida and he's only been gone for like two years and he can't seem to find him. And then one of the kids from a nearby farm, finds Carly's body, but it's in Biff's field. It's in Biff's field, yeah, because since he was dead, some other people in the town were like, we'll we'll help you out, we'll take care of you, because you don't have a man available right now. Yeah. And so these sort of randos are like, oh, we were just like, or, you know, harvesting or whatever the fuck in the field, but there's a body here. Yeah. And then the coroner's like, I've done my CSI science, and she was killed somewhere else, like, a few weeks ago, and then just brought here, and I I think it's pretty clear that they were like trying to like frame Biff and Cam is like, Hmm. Um, so around this time, Claire mentions to Cam that she found similar books to the books that were in Biff's thing. Like as it's becoming clear that maybe the Satanism thing has legs, Claire is like, Oh, I, 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 Blair wants me to tell you, but it's stupid and it doesn't mean anything that in our dad's stuff, I also found a whole bunch of the same Satanism stuff. But like our dad was just obsessed with world religions. He had books on every religion. And even though these books are dog-eared and there are notations made in the margins and have clearly been used many, many times, I'm sure that it's nothing and it's not important. And Cam's like, uh, you, you're incorrect there. I'm going to have to look into this. And she also decides to look into like this shady land deal um that was happening right when he died and she's like she's mad at first about the satanism accusation but she's kind of happy that he's looking into the land deal because she wants to know once and for all like what was going on because it didn't make sense to her that it would happen so they yeah he gets a call cam gets a call from this i re- again we get this character mode for like two pages and i was sort of into her she is a prostitute in a different town and nora writes about her in a way that is surprisingly like not terribly shamey towards sex worker where she's like i'm a small businesswoman and i you know i take care of myself and i'm investing in my future and like blah blah blah, blah. and also i hate cops and so if this cult is gonna pay me money to lie to a cop then like hell yeah i'm gonna take money to lie to a cop and i'm like you know what i respect that mode to be honest and so she calls cam and is like oh i heard you're looking into this guy biff well he was a drug dealer and he owed money to this guy the haitian who is from haiti and this again not great but whatever uh this haitian but can and she's trying to convince him that like biff did all this because he was in over his head with this like drug deal and biff and cam is like this doesn't add up and i can tell that you're like a paid plant but thank you goodbye yeah and he he does a little digging into the land deal and he finds out that like actually the company that did the land deal like basically disappeared and that all of the stuff that came down came down on claire's father because he's like he doesn't none of it makes sense 
sense to him because they weren't wanting for money. Like everything was very secure. They were doing very well. It doesn't make sense that he would make this deal unless he was doing it on behalf of someone else. And they find out that he was, but that organization has completely disappeared and all the paperwork on it has also been disappeared from town hall. And while he's looking deeper into this, Ernie shows up at Claire's house or Ernie's mom shows up at Claire's house and is like, hey, like, are you molesting my son? And she's like, what are you fucking talking about? Like, I know I was doing sculpting Just of Just molesting your son. his arms. That's all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, your son just has like really artistic, beautiful arms. What's weird about that? And she's like, oh, well, I found this journal in his room and I kind of had a feeling that he made it all up. But uh, he talks a lot about like doing lots of sex stuff to you. And she's like, that is not no. Um, Yeah, Ernie has written like erotic friend fiction about Claire. Yes. But it's upsetting. And and Ernie, luckily, Ernie's mom is like, oh, no, that that makes sense. Actually, I just sort of wanted to talk about it. And Claire's like, yeah, that's. You should get, and, and actually, again, this I feel like is sort of progressive. Uh, Claire is like, you should get therapy for your son. And, and Ernie's mom is like, absolutely. The whole family's getting therapy. Thank you for suggesting it. Yeah. Ernie, so or after that, not immediately, but in the midst of all of this timeline, um, Ernie shows up at Claire's house and she, he's very like upset and he's like talking about the cult and how he's in it too deep so he can't get out because this is who he is now. But like, you know, it's, it's bad and all this stuff. And then he runs away. So she chases after him because she doesn't know what he's talking about, but she thinks he might be suicidal. And she sees that he has gone to the funeral home. So we follow, she follows him inside and inside they're doing a cult ritual and she sees it and tries to run away and gets out of the building and is trying to decide if she should drive into town or if she should just run to Cam's house when she sees someone pull into the parking lot and it's the doctor. So he, she runs over to the doctor. She's like, oh my God, like these terrible things are happening. Like they're doing a cult thing. I don't know what to do. And then he drugs her because he's in the cult. He's wow, wow. The, in the cult. He's the third cult man. We, we've been getting a lot of back and forth, but I guess we didn't mention because we're bad at this podcast. We, we, <laughs> we did mention it. I mentioned well, it. Well, yes, we I mentioned that mentioning he's it. the third guy, but we're getting a lot of back and forth throughout this of like the mayor who thinks that the cult should be about killing people and that they should make human sacrifices and kill their own as needed to like live up to their ideals for their master Satan. And then the third man who ends up being the doctor is like, hey, like, let's just go back to sacrificing goats. Like, this is, we don't need to do all of this. Like, this has gotten out of control and we need to take it back to what it was at the start, which was, you know, we've we've lost sight of that. Like, I'm a traditional cultist and I think human sacrifice yeah. is wrong. <laughs> yes. But also, I am extremely liberal with tranquilizers and that has been one of my character traits throughout. <laughs> and when he like, pulled out the needle, I was like, oh my god, I noticed this and thought it was weird that he was tranquilizing people so much, but I thought it was just the 90s. But I guess he was, I guess it's actually that he was in a cult. <laughs> just, just good old Doc Crampton with his hypodermic needle. Um, so yeah, so then she is like in this drugged haze and like bound and Mayor Atherton gives her this whole like villain monologue to explain the cult and how it, it gives him power over people and how he is so rich in real estate now and how they're going to sacrifice her on um, on my birthday, the summer solstice, which is fucking rude. I don't think people should do murders on any day, but especially not on my birthday. I but mean, that's the plan. They did a murder on my birthday too. They killed Sarah on my birthday. <gasps> You're right. <laughs> 
what what does it mean? I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to say that I knew that ahead of time and specifically picked the book because of that, but that's definitely why I picked the book. Oh my god the 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 murder board on my wall is just blown up right now. <laughs> so many pieces of red string. <laughs> just to the calendar with my birthday circled, and then it's and then it's just a picture of like. Oh, by the way, another thing I just want to mention is that this book seemed fucking sponsored by a Pepsi and b all the most famous perfumes of the '90s because anytime Nora introduces a woman, she mentions what extremely '90s perfume they wear, such as um, Obsession or Poison. And like I remember as a child seeing the little knockoffs of those perfumes in like Walmart's beauty aisle, and those names stuck with me. And they're all in this book. And also Claire's constantly drinking Pepsi and this book yes except for not right now because she's kidnapped by the cult and they're not giving her pepsi she's just drinking good old you know hypodermic needle (laughs) (laughs) tranquilizer they're they're trying to find her they like do a door-to-door search like all the stuff is going on and then cam remembers the thing early on they had seen that crazy and he had carly's bracelet and he and claire had gone over there and claire had made her a new bracelet that said her name so that they could do a swap so he goes to Crazy Annie and he's like, you have to tell me where you found the bracelet. Like, I know you don't want to go there, but you have to show me. So Annie takes him to the spot where meanwhile, Bud has seen, been on the lookout for Ernie and seen Ernie and followed him into the woods. So they both end up at the cult ritual where they're going to kill Claire basically at the same time. And Ernie ends up not being able to go through with it and like leaps over Claire before the mayor can stab her in order to save her. Ernie realizes that he just likes metal music and he doesn't like murder. He yeah. he is a Satanist in the more traditional, actual sense where it's less about the murder and more about, you know, the Satanic Bible. Yeah. He's the Doc Crampton. He's the young Doc Crampton. I, I feel like I feel like we probably don't have to explain to listeners to this of this podcast because you're mostly book people. So I'm sure you have seen this in media or, you know, you've seen the documentary or stuff, but like just FYI, it's asterisks. Satanism actually is not anything like this. It's not, there's not ritual sacrifices at midnight where you kill a virgin. It's all about really like First Amendment rights and individualism and being able to express yourself and stuff like that. And like the satanic church or whatever, like their organization has, they filed lawsuits to get religious protection for abortion, which I think is rad. Yeah. And to, to anytime someone tries to put up like a religious uh, iconography on public Uh, Like Christian. Yeah. They, they try to step in around that. There's a really good documentary about it and we'll link to it in the show notes or the reader's advisory. Yeah, so just in short, hashtag not all Satanists or not any real ones. Anyway. Yeah, I could do a whole Uh, fucking episode about the Satanic Panic, but that's not where we are right now. Uh, Where we are right now is that Claire is saved, Ernie's gonna be okay, Mayor Atherton is dead, everything's gonna be fine, it's a happy ending, and then we come to the epilogue, and Renata, I'll let you talk about the epilogue (laughs) because I know how important it is to you. Obsessed with it, yes. So... By the way, I do think this wrapped up too quickly. Like, I would have loved another chapter because it really is just like, and credits, um, the ritual is over and we're safe. But I would love another thing of like, oh, and then Claire and Cam move in together. Like, there's not really any main romantic closure for them, but you have the sense that they're going to be okay. But then we cut to Min Atherton's point of view, who is the widow. And she's like in her 
um, Widow's Black and she's on a train heading west and just sort of like mentally reviewing to herself how well the cult went and how easy it is to trick men into doing whatever she wants and how, you know, her husband, the mayor, thought it was his idea, but really it was her idea all along. And it was just like this full Agatha all along moment, but it was Min Atherton all along. <laughs> and I just, it was very powerful to me. <laughs> and like, I don't even like Min. Like, she sucks and she's racist, but just this twist truly delighted me. Cause also the cult men mostly suck too. So, whatever. Sure. I do love that it is, it is hashtag feminism. Uh, Min Atherton is a hashtag girl boss. Yeah, yeah. This I think, as far as I can remember, this is really one of the only Nora Roberts that has like a little stinger at the end that <laughs> at, that ends like this. So I thought, oh, it's a little cute. Well, from what, yeah, from what I remember, actually, I feel like the ending does tend to be that thing I was saying, where there isn't really a romantic ending for Cam and Claire. It it's instead Min Atherton. Ah, <laughs> uh, I love that. Yeah. It was, I, Christine, thank you so much for bringing this book into my life. I loved it. The experience of reading it was great. And I, I mean, I've talked before on the show about how I'm obsessed with the satanic panic and I, a, a fucking Nora Roberts romance mystery set during the satanic panic is just. Chef kiss. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I thought you might like it. All right. Well, let's move on to our dramatic readings and just give you all a a little taste of this. Just pour a little Pepsi into your cup. Um, And the first one that we have, by the way, oh my God, and I didn't even mention this. From the start when we meet Angie and Claire, I was just like, oh, are Angie and Claire dating? Like, I probably not because this is like a straight romance novel, but they had a real datey vibe. And then we met Angie's husband, Jean-Paul, and I was like, they are in a throuple. Like, they have vibes and you're going to hear them. Angie and Claire definitely slept together in college. I don't like they definitely did. Yeah. Yes. But so here we're going to um, have Claire receiving a phone call from her partners, Angie and Jean-Paul. And uh, Kate will be Claire. Uh, Christine will be Angie. And I will be Jean-Paul. I'm not going to do a French accent, but know that he has one. <laughs> and he does in the audiobook. Claire opened the refrigerator and picked up the phone simultaneously. Hello. As she brooded out a hot dog, mustard pickles in a soft drink, wet, heavy breathing sounded in her ear. She grinned, stuck the hot dog in the microwave, and began to breathe back, occasionally adding a husky, yes, or oh yes. After setting the timer, she popped open a bottle. Oh my god, don't stop. She finished with a long, wavering moan. Was it good for you? Wonderful. Incredible. The best. She took a long swallow of Pepsi. Jean-Paul, you give great phone. She took the hot dog out of the microwave, then wrapped it in a piece of Wonder Bread and began to slather on mustard. If Angie ever finds out... I'm on the extension, you idiot. Chuckling, Claire added a row of dill pickle slices. Oh, well, all is discovered. So, what's up? After that, I am... Behave yourself, Angie said mildly. We wanted to see how you are. I'm good. Satisfied, Claire picked up the dripping sandwich and bit in. Really good. In fact, I've just finished some sketches with a new model. The kid's got great arms. Oh, really? Amused by Angie's intonation, Claire shook her head. I meant kid literally. He's 16, 17. I also took some sketches of this friend of mine who's a waitress. Competent poetry in motion. And I've got my eye on a fabulous set of hands. She thought of Cam and chewed thoughtfully. Maybe the face, too. Or the whole damn body. Just how would he react if she suggested he pose nude, she wondered. You sound busy, Sherry. Jean-Paul picked up a chunk of amethyst from his desk. 
I am. Angie, you'll be pleased to know I've been working every day. Really working. I've actually got one piece finished. And? Angie probed. I'd rather you see it for yourself. I'm too close to it. How is life in the boondicks? Boondocks, Claire corrected. Boondocks. And it's fine. Why don't you come see for yourself? Wow. They do? And they have a threesome? Question mark. All right. So then next up is a a little scene from Claire and her other love interest, Cam. And this time, Christine will be Claire and Kate will be Cam. At the base of the steps, she stopped to take in the living area with its lofty ceilings, beams of sunlight, and Indian rugs. One wall was fashioned from river rock with a generous fireplace carved into it. The sofa was low and cushy, perfect for napping. Well, this is... She stepped off the stairs, turned, and saw the sculpture. He had it set beside the open stairwell, positioned so that the sun would stream through the skylight above and pour onto it, so that anyone walking in the front door or standing in the living room would see it. It was almost four feet high, a curving twist of brass and copper. It was an unmistakably sensual piece, a woman's form, tall, slender, naked. Her arms were lifted high, her copper hair streaming back. Claire had called it womanhood and had sought to reproduce all the power, the wonder, and the magic. At first, she was flustered at finding one of her pieces in his home. Her hands fumbled into her pockets. I, uh, you said you thought I painted. I lied. It was fun getting you riled up and insulted. I guess you've had it for some time. A couple of years. I I went into this gallery in D.C. They had some of your work, and I ended up walking out with this. Why? I didn't intend to buy it, and I could hardly afford it at that point. But I looked at it, and I knew it was mine. Just the way I walked into your garage last night and looked at you. I'm not a piece of sculpture, Cam. No, you're not. You're upset because I saw this and recognized you. Because I understood you. You'd rather I didn't. I have a psychiatrist on call if I want analysis. Thanks. You can get pissed off, Claire. It doesn't change anything. I'm not pissed off. Sure you are. We can stay in here and yell at each other. I can haul your ass back upstairs to bed. Or we can go into the kitchen and have coffee. I'll leave it to you. Guys, it's hard to talk between your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, young lovers. All right. And then our last dramatic reading is um, Min and Claire visiting Lisa at the hospital. And this, I'll be reading some racist lines for Min. I just want to say, obviously, I don't condone them. But I will read them to you because you got to get a dose of Min. You just got to. We girls have to stick together. When one of us is attacked, all of us are attacked. The ladies' club isn't only concerned with bake sales and raffles. Please tell the rest of your group how much I appreciate the flowers. I'll do that for sure. I'd best be going back to put supper on. A man likes a hot meal at the end of the day. Give the mayor my best. I will. I've been planning on dropping by, Claire. Oh? Now that your friends have gone back to New York. I didn't like intruding when you had company. That's very considerate of you. I must say, I was glad they didn't stay longer. You know how people talk. About what? After all, dear, that woman is black. No, really? I want to read this line of narrative, which is sarcasm skimmed over Min's head like a balloon because it's very good. As for me, I haven't got a bigoted bone in my body. Live and let live, I say. I even had a black girl from over in Shepherdstown come in to do my house once a week last year. Had to fire her for laziness, of course, but that's neither here nor there. You're a regular humanitarian, Mrs. Atherton. Well, we're all God's children under the skin, after all. Sing hallelujah. 
But as I was saying, I was going to drop by to talk to you. The ladies club would like you to speak at our monthly luncheon. Speak? About art and culture and that sort of thing. We thought we might even be able to get a reporter down from Hagerston. Oh, well... If you're good enough for the New York Times, you're good enough for the Morning Herald. Min patted her cheek. I know how important publicity is. Being a politician's wife, you just leave it all up to me. Don't you worry about a thing but wearing a pretty dress. You might go by Betty's and let her see to your hair. My hair? I know how you artists are. Bohemian and all. But this is Emmetsboro. Fix yourself up and talk a little about art. Maybe you could bring a piece or two to show off. Might be the paper would take pictures of it for you. Come by the house Saturday, about noon. This Saturday? Now, Claire, you remember the ladies' club has their lunch in the first Saturday of every month. Always has, always will. Why, your mama was chairwoman three years running. Don't be late now. Yeah, yes, no. You'll be just fine. Now you take care of yourself, Lisa. I'll come back and see you real soon. Thank God Claire has men to help her with her uh, promotion for her art, because whatever would she do? What would she do without it? All right. Well, let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to Divine Evil. Um, And we will have a full list up on our website, worstbestsellers.com, because maybe we won't have time to talk about all of these. I just wanted two things i want to give a shout out to the podcast you're wrong about in case you're not already listening to it which i feel like 93 percent of the internet already is but um check it out if you haven't and then also uh the project by courtney summers is a recent ya book about a cult that i loved it's not a romance novel it's not very much like this but it is about a cult and it's great the end I am going to, and I think I recently shouted them out on a different episode, the podcast American Hysteria is very good, but they do have a couple episodes specifically dedicated to the Satanic Panic. And uh, I came up with a whole bunch of other related books that I'll put up on the website. Uh, Christine, why don't you give us some Nora suggestions based on this book? Yeah, if you like the sculpture part and you wanted more of that artist lingo, she the first book in a trilogy uh, is called Born in Flame, and it's about a Irish woman who's a glass artist. So if you really like Blown Away on Netflix, you'll probably enjoy that one. Uh, If you're really into the satanic cult part, uh, Ceremony and Death by J.D. Robbs definitely deals with a satanic murder club that Eve Dallas has to solve. She would. She would. All right. Well, um, again, thank you for your Nora expertise. And we'll have these on worstbestsellers.com. And now it is time for our favorite game, The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Christine can choose which most enhances the book or can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. Okay. Uh, So if Dwayne The Rock Johnson was in this book, he would just kind of run around judging people for their fat phobia and kind of shaming them when they say things that that are just like thoughtless and, you know, not body positive. And yeah, everything else in the book would stay the same because this book rules. All right. Well, there's one other thing. If Wolverine were in this book, he'd be like out in the woods drinking a beer and being sad or whatever. He would save the life of teenage runaway Carly, but he would just kind of like run her to the hospital and he would not investigate the whole cult shit because he is on a break from Avengers and X-Men shit right now. He's he's not going to solve the cult stuff. He's going to leave that for Cam. Um, but also while he's around, he is going to save that cat. I don't know how. He just will save the cat and then move on. 
Ooh, I mean, I'm, I think I'm going to have to go with Wolverine just because I could, I could do with one less cat death. Uh, yeah. He doesn't necessarily have to save Carly, but definitely the cat <laughs> would, would be good. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for playing. What do we think the moral of the story is? I would say that the murder of the, the, hmm. <laughs> the, murder of the story. I gave What's it away. What's the murder of the story? It's Carly. <laughs> I would say that the moral of the story is that murder is not the answer because that's how you get caught. My moral is not today, Satan. Mine is behind every successful man is an evil woman. All right, now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte will give his opinions about the book. Yeah, Duarte, you're right. Uh, Wolverine knows it. I know it. There shouldn't You shouldn't kill cats in books. You just shouldn't do it. And the cult could have just, you know, thrown a jar of blood on her door or something. I don't know. There's other options. Yeah, I, I understand why it's upsetting you to Duarte. I do still really like it, but, you know, different strokes. Yeah, Duarte, I apologize. I feel like last time I said we would re- read a book with the with more hero cats, and and this was one one place where it fell a little short. That's true. You know, in in my fan fiction, when Cam and Carly move in together, they are going to get at least one cat, probably several. They'll be like rescuers. So, well, I was no, not say, Carly. You're- yeah, Carly's dead. So sh- that's going to be hard for Cam. I was staring at Carly's words name in the notes. Um, I can read and talk. No, I can't. The point is, there should be more cats in this book. And you're right, Dorte. And thank you for reading this. Uh, do any humans have any closing thoughts? Um, just to say thank you, Christine, for joining us, uh, for sharing your thoughts, for getting us to read this book, for, you know, being you. I think this was the first book I've read all pandemics, so, and it was a reread, so thanks for getting me to read a book again. Always happy to help. In this case, sincerely happy to have to have encouraged you to read this. Yes. Often, that's not the vibe I have from our guests. Often, I'm apologizing to them for reading things. Yeah, I don't know how you do what you do. Uh, I um, I don't know either, honestly. <laughs> I was going to say drinking, but the pandemic has really ruined my tolerance. So we do, You know what? You know what? We do it for you, the listeners. That is true. We do do it for everyone out there who finds it within themselves to listen to us blather on for 90 minutes every two weeks so uh if you are listened this far and you want to come on internet and tell us about it we're on all the social medias um mostly we are worst bestsellers with an s on twitter we're at worst bestseller with no s because the s was ritually sacrificed by uh the coven of 13 but it, it didn't really do much for them i don't think but regardless, we don't have that S, but you can still come tweet at us. You can also join our Goodreads group, which is best accessed by going to our website, worstbestsellers.com, and clicking on the Goodreads link. You know how the internet works. 
and also, you know how podcasts work. So you know how to find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or whatever they're doing for podcasts now. Uh, Spotify, Amazon's got a podcast thing. You know where the podcasts are. That's how you're listening to this. Uh, if you do find us there and subscribe to us, we'd love it if you would take a moment to rate and review. When you rate and review, it moves us up a bit in the charts, makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Uh, if you don't rate and review us, then we will be forced to, uh, I guess, spy on you with our telescope that we have in the house across the street from yours. And you don't want to deal with that. It's just a lot of work on all sides. You can also find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you offer a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like keep our website running and commission merch and all sorts of other stuff. In exchange, you'll get perks. We have things like a newsletter. We have stickers that you can get in the mail, postcards from Duarte and us also, I guess. Uh, Yeah, so you can check that out. Also, if you go to worstbestsellers.com and click on merch, you will find our Redbubble store where you can find all sorts of things from our podcast to wear on your body. Uh, additionally, one last thing that's on worstbestsellers.com that might be of interest is a Discord server that we have for listeners uh, to talk about the podcast, episodes, book recs, television, tabletop RPGs, pictures of your pets, basically whatever's on your mind. The Pet Pictures channel is hopping. Literally, because there's multiple people with bunnies in there. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. Nora Roberts, thank you for existing and blessing us with these hundreds of beautiful books. Truly Um, iconic. So if you're looking for me on the internet, you can find me at 14 Across. I'm at Renata Snacks. If you're looking for me, I'm officially on the internet now. Um, you can find me at at C-E underscore Ricketts. That's R-I-C-K-E-T-T-S. The S I stole from Worst Bestsellers. So oh, my God. We've been looking is. for that. <laughs> yeah, I recently had a listener tell me that they could literally hear the smirk in my voice. So if you <laughs> listeners have been long desiring to know what my smirk looks like, you can thank Kate because she took some wonderful photos that capture it perfectly. And they're on Twitter. <laughs> Listen, that was a fun trip, and those are good photos. Yeah. <laughs> I'm now using them in all my professional media. Love so it. <laughs> all right. And um, we'll be back in two weeks with a, a much-requested book, uh, Didn't See That Coming, by Rachel Hollis, uh, also known as Girl, Wash Your Divorce. And when I say also known as, that's what I keep thinking the title is or should be. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I think you guys read a Rachel Hollis book after the last time I was on. It's getting to be a oh, little. That sounds right. <laughs> God, we can't keep that going. Although I did see multiple people ask us to read Dave's book. <sighs> I mean, we have been saying we should read more books by men. Hmm. Is this, this is the, the only? Year? This is the only time that I make that resolution to read more by men is so that so we that can, we can talk about how <laughs> we don't like them. Yeah. Um well enough about that. We'll we'll see you on the internet. Goodbye. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs>